0: One of the most expensive films ever marketed is Avengers Endgame. That cost, according to Disney and MCU and Marvel, $200 million just to market. And that's what they're revealing to us. Because Whoa. obviously every movie has off-the-book costs, fees, reshoots, things that you know we have no idea about. So just saying that it's $200 million is just a simple way of saying that it costs a fucking lot to market. <laughs> Is every film going to cost $200 million to market? Absolutely not. Roughly a safe estimate usually is maybe around half the budget, 30 to 50% of the budget of the film probably went into that much money for marketing. So if it's $100 million, you can bet that about $20 to $50 million was spent on marketing. I mean, just TV ads for a, a, a typical MCU movie probably costs about $50 to 12 million, $20 million. Just TV ads, not counting billboards, commercials, Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. In this episode, we're talking about money. In terms of money, we're discussing box office. In the film box office and how it's changed over the years, the health of it right now, post-pandemic, with all the streaming platforms blowing up and making 77 shows per year, (laughs) and releasing all their movies online, digital, same-day release, or just only going to streaming services, how it's affected the box office, is the audience growing, are people going back to the theaters, but overall, analyzing what the box office is, common misconceptions about the box office that we see constantly and get asked about quite often, as well as, how movies become profitable, what kinds of box offices they need to have to become successful or break even, how much movie theaters play into the box office revenue, how much they get a cut of ticket sales versus studios, so much to break down because this is a complex topic and a lot of people, they see just a massive box office for a big blockbuster movie on a huge budget, like they'll see $300 million on a $200 million budget, they'll think, oh, that movie was super successful not true yeah, yeah yeah you gotta factor in so many things and we're gonna break that down basically because the blockbuster is hollywood right now and i'll just say there's also i've been seeing this like competition kind of mentality come forming in film in the film world community online and it's like this competition of uh, um, the amount of money a movie makes determines how good it is and comparing like oh this movie's better than this random movie because it made so much money and that made no money. It's, it's, it's kind of worrying in terms of how people are viewing success and how the number of tickets sold really is kind of becoming more important to a lot of people than uh, how good the film is, how great the story is, and how, how compelling the narrative is. And that's something that's I've been noticing recently more and more often on social media where it's like, it's kind of like your favorite sports team getting like the most home runs of the— uh, like your favorite athlete hitting the most home runs in the MLB. It's like, it's cool, but it's like, does that mean they're the best player in, in the MLB? Not necessarily. And it's kind of this competitive mentality and pitting movies against each other that I don't like. And the thing is, there's a place for studio tentpole films. Studios are companies the corporations they need to make money to keep alive they have a lot of employees every one of them the major ones they have thousands and thousands of employees they are and they're also publicly traded companies they have shareholders they want to keep happy they want to keep as many people investing in the company and the stock market as possible so obviously they want to generate as much profit as they can and so there is a place for making big temple movies geared towards just making amount of, you know, a large amount of money. But let's not forget that there's so much great cinema also getting made that isn't really getting seen. At the end of the day, movies are made to make money. That's why Shut they're on. made. Obviously, we love movies, and people who make movies love to make movies, and studios love to make films as well. They love to win awards and tell incredible stories. But at the end of the day, it's a dollars and cents business at the end it's of the business. day. It is business. And... I think there's also been this odd shift for studios where if their movie doesn't make a ton of money, like a Blockbuster studio, like a uh I won't name names. A Blockbuster studio. Like a block not Blockbuster, <laughs> but like a studio that makes only blockbusters. A major, okay, yeah. A major we studio. You know who we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. If we don't if the audience doesn't turn up and make that company and that business uh seven hundred million dollar box office at least per movie and then there's this odd shift where they blame the audience and they blame people for not going to see the movie. So there's this weird relationship with the box office and with a lot of studios right now. How dare you not come? Where like, they, they expect us to go just because of their brand. And they, they like almost feel entitled that we have to go see their movies. And like, oh, if you didn't see this movie, there's something wrong with you. it's it's kind of weird you know what I mean well I've also noticed that film community has there's not obviously not everyone but everyone but a lot of people seem to be acting like they they treat film studios like they're uh, like a sports team and they root for that sports team even when the sports team doesn't do well even when they lose a bunch of games or get shut out like it's like oh it's still bet the best it's still the best team and there's kind of it doesn't really make sense like if it's a if the studio makes a bad movie they make a bad movie call a spade a spade we don't have but there is a like going back to the competitiveness where people are jumping onto a studio like it's their like it like it is a religion like it is a sports team like a fanatic not of the movie but a fanatic of the studio which I've never seen before it was always in the past it was like it didn't really matter what studio made a movie is it if is the movie good or is it bad but now. The studio is like becoming the face in the brand of the movies they're making, versus like the franchise versus Lord of the Rings. Now it's DC Warner Brothers yeah. versus like Spider Man. Now it's like Marvel MCU exactly. and Disney. And yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That actually reminds me of this great uh, TikTok video I saw the other day where it's green flags in dating for for like if you're dating, like, find a guy a great green flag. And what under- do you look for for guys? <laughs> <laughs> well, underrated green flag, according to the video, which I think is true, is is like a guy who has a sports team that they've been following their whole life, but they're terrible, and they are they still ride out the loyalty every year. They're still rooting for them, watching all the games. But that's like a green flag to, like, date that kind of guy. So, New York Jets fans, you have a chance. <laughs> so you're saying <laughs> there's kidding. a chance. Just kidding. Well, Jets Tom's fans, not playing anymore. Just so kidding, Jets fans. Tom's not in the AFC It East doesn't anymore. really matter. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. J.K. These are jokes. These are jokes, but, <laughs> but fumble. But also, I mean, the the thing with studio studio tentpole films, they obviously dominate, and it's not just Marvel, Star Wars. I mean, people always say Disney, Star Disney, Marvel, but it is all Disney now. So it's it's more so you're gonna look at it as it's obviously Disney, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Universal. They're the obviously the big guys. DC. It, it, I mean, Warner Bros. D- like <laughs> no, you, you, you. I said Warner Brothers. Did you? Yeah. Did he? Warner Roll the tape back. Bro- Warner Brothers Discovery. Get it right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Warner Brothers is still the film division. Yeah. Disco- Warner Brothers Discovery is the overall umbrella. It's not just superhero movies. It's not just uh, comic book movies and Star Wars. It's It's just mainly the approach of making gigantic studio films, heavy CGI, generally in the science fiction genre, because Transformers is still in the same thing. Harry Potter is still in that same regard. So it's not just comic books, and it's not just superhero movies, and it's not just Star Wars, but it's more of so this approach to making as big of movies as possible. And the thing is, over the last several decades, starting in the 80s, when we started getting franchises, we're making a boatload of money. You get the Indiana Jones franchise, you get the Star Wars franchise, you get Back to the Future. These really laid the groundwork for studio filmmaking, where they're going before the 80s, there were a couple franchises Rocky, but well, Star Wars started in the 70s. Yeah, 70 yeah, late very late 70s, but still it wasn't a franchise then in the 70s, you know what I mean? Rocky was a franchise, it wasn't like that successful it as it did very well, but it wasn't like gigantic numbers. There and there were like B-level franchises, but in the 80s franchises really started to take shape and before then studios were just trying to make as many really solid movies as they can to make good amounts of box office. And box offices were never really monumental there were a couple outliers every year or so there was one or two big movies like jaws of the year it came out blew everything out of the water no pun intended <laughs> things like that the exorcist was a massive success but there were generally one to two to three films that were like huge colossal successes if they if there were that many in in a given year but now we're in the living in this age especially the last 15 years or even the last decade where we're getting at least a dozen movies that are making enormous amounts of money selling lots of tickets it, and what's happening it's not just and those are just the top 10 or 12 there's still at least 30 to 40 large temple movies like this getting made every year sometimes they're not successful sometimes they are super successful but studios changed their approach to film production where they were like if we can make they started making huge boatloads of money just from one film and so they started gearing their risk assessment towards we're not going to fund and produce 30 movies mid-level that could do okay, but most likely will do like mid-numbers. Then there's a chance one of them will break out. And then they change their approach to we're going to make a dozen gigantic movies a year that we, ha- we feel confident will perform extremely well. And we're going to, instead of spreading all of our money amongst like 20 to 30, 30 mid-level movies, we're spreading our money between ten large scale movies and that's basically what's happened to the studio system they started being like the risk assessment was just it's not worth it for them to fund 30 movies that cost 20-30 million dollars let's fund 10 movies that cost 100 million you have the potential to make a billion dollars and the the maximum the, those mid level movies will make is maybe 100 maybe 200 if it's great word of mouth and the, if the movie is really special but you have a guaranteed hit most likely when you invest 100 million Two hundred million and make a huge, bombastic, gigantic, extravagant film, and so that's kind of what happened in the studio system over the last few decades. Over this century specifically, the last time there was a year where the number one movie of the year at the box office wasn't a franchise movie was in two thousand with *Castaway*. Oh wow! Was the wow. number one movie of the year and made thirty-one million dollars at the box office. That was number one. Was that opening weekend? No, that's so, total thirty-one million. Uh, let's see. Are you sure about? Oh no, that? the average of movies that year. Cast- I'm, I'm Castaway sorry. made four hundred. I'm million, sorry. I'm I sorry. Think. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, that wasn't the box office, but it was the f- number one movie that year. It was yeah. not a franchise. I believe just off the top of my head, I think Castaway made four four hundred and fifty million. I'm sorry. I was looking at the average of movies. Oh, the release. Yeah. Uh, of Movie you. releases. Mm-hmm. So the average movie release made thirty one million dollars at the box office. That's good. Versus, it's down to the teens in terms of how many, how much money the average movie makes per year. Obviously, more movies get released every year. We're around somewhere between 700 to 1,000 movies get released every year. It's pretty big. I mean, still in the 1930s and 40s, there were years over 500, 600 movie releases a year, sometimes less. It wasn't. There's like this root myth that like there were like 12 movies that came out a year. That's not all the case. still about a movie a, a day. Because that would mean there's like 50 people working in the film industry. There are a lot. <laughs> but since 2001, every number one movie of every year has been from a franchise and it started really with 2001 and harry potter and the sorcerer's stone and franchises really started to take shape and take control of the box office around here because in 2000 we had a total box office of 13 billion dollars globally now in 2019 right before the pandemic. We had the best year ever at the box office globally with $42 billion. And this number pretty much went up every year from 2000 all the way up into 2019. Then obviously it dropped off the cliff to $11 billion in 2020 because of COVID and lockdowns. And then 2021 was $21 billion. 2022 we just had went up again to $26 billion for a global box office. Now obviously we have the insurgence of... Or the mass production of superhero comic book movies that definitely inflated a lot of these numbers because we did have healthy franchises coming. I mean, Shrek Two was the best movie of two thousand and four year in two thousand and four. Lord of the Rings in two thousand two, two thousand and three. The Two Towers and Return of the T- and Return of the King. Those were the two best movies. Most highest grossing of their respective years. Pirates of the Caribbean in 2006 and 2007. Those were the biggest movies of their respective years. The Dark Knight in 2008. This is where franchise blockbuster films were starting to just decimate the box office. Yeah. These huge opening weekends. Then MCU started to definitely take over. First Avatar took over in 2009. Then we have Toy Story 3 had a great year. But MCU and then Disney just took over every single year the top highest grossing movie of the year was an MCU project and now a Disney project. And we were having crazy growth at the box office. But again, this was inflated. Will we ever get to a year of $42 billion at the global box office? Because you got to remember 2018, 2019, that's infinity war end game. Plus they were still putting out three, two to three MCU there was a projects star Wars year. movie too. Star yeah. Wars. We had DC was making movies still at big, that time big year. DCU movies were coming out. So, we were definitely inflated. I don't know if we'll ever top forty billion dollars annually again because even if you look at this year, we had an incredible year at the box office. Lots of movies came out, but you take away Avatar Two and you take away Top Gun Maverick, that's a total of over almost four billion dollars. You take that away. And twenty twenty two was brings it down to about twenty two billion dollars global box office. So I'll say if we will obviously have years that make over $40 billion because of inflation in the U.S. dollars, just value number rising in inflation where movie tickets, every everything gets costlier as decades go on. So because of that reason we will, but I'm thinking, yeah, it, well it, in like 20 years, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So in and probably so, sooner. <laughs> yeah, but in terms of number of tickets sold, I think we peaked uh, probably sometime in the 2010s with number of tickets sold that will never get again. And that's because really the impact that the pandemic had, the lockdown had and the benefit it had towards streaming services where streaming services doubled down, a lot of people maybe I think might have gotten used to watching films primarily from home on streaming apps and so even though movie theaters and theatrical releases are recovering and getting better the numbers i think the numbers this year are going to be a great indication that things are getting back to normal it's going to be a fantastic year i can year. see 30 billion easy absolutely but still it's not going to be the same because so much got put into the streaming industry that there's just way too much content whether it be films or tv shows to watch at home and it's just impossible for theaters to compete and for theatrical releases to even come close to competing like they used to. So I think that the lockdown, even though theaters and theatrical releases and exhibitors survived for the most part, it will never be the same. It didn't kill the box office like a lot of people think it was thought it was going to do. People thought movie theaters were going to die. We were worried about it as well. Uh, thanks to Top Gun Maverick for really saving the in-theater experience because... I have this great statistic right here from among subgroups, and it has age demographics in 2007 and how many times they went to a movie theater in person versus 2021, the year after the pandemic. Now, age groups 18 to 29, they saw 9.1 movies a year in 2007, age 30 to 49 saw 4.5 movies a year in 2007. Age 50 to 64 saw 3.1 movies in 2007 per year. And then 65 and older saw two movies a year in 2007. Now in 2021, age group 18 to 29 sees 3.2 movies per year. That's down about 65%. Wow, wow. Age group 30 to 49 sees 1.4 movies per year. That's an even bigger drop. Age 50 to 64, they see 0.8 movies per year. And then 65 and older, they see 0.5 movies per year. So the interest in going to the movie theater has dropped significantly in the last 14 years. Obviously, we have to keep it, take into account that this was taken in 2001. This was the year after the pandemic lockdowns were still giving people the 2021. 2021. Okay. The HGB, HGBGs about going out into public, and I think there'll forever be. A percentage of the population in the world that will still never go to public spaces again, that's totally fine. That's their prerogative. They have their reasons why. It's the way they feel safest is not being out in public in large groups and in enclosed spaces to each their own. Yeah. And I have another really interesting study right here that asks pollers why they don't regularly go to see movies in theaters. And this was done in 2022. Now... For the reason of, I am more watch, more interested in watching movies at home. 55% said that's a major reason. 25% said it's a minor reason. And then 18% said not a reason at all. Another question. It's because it's too expensive to see movies in theaters. 50% said that's a major reason. 32% said it's a minor reason. 19% said not a reason at all. When asked about, I'm concerned about the COVID-19 pandemic. 36% said that's a major reason. So, that's a lot of people saying a major reason they don't want to go to the movie theaters. In 20, is be- this is 2022. 2022 is because of the COVID 19 pandemic. Again, we have to factor in these are people who take polls. Yeah. 25% said it's a minor reason, then 40% said it's not a reason at all. And then I'm not interested in the films currently in theaters. 32% said that's a major reason, that every year they're not interested in seeing the movies that are coming out. 34% said that's a minor reason, and 34% said that's not a reason at all. I also think that the the r- real rise of both YouTube, in terms as a form of television, and then TikTok, really have taken away a lot of people's have have taken up a lot of people's screen time, in terms of, you know, maybe you're less interested in watching movies because you know you watch things on YouTube, or uh, and definitely younger. I've I've done I've read lots of studies where especially. Young people, whether they be preteens or younger or even young teens now, they prefer watching YouTube more than anything else. And so I think that very young kids, when they're getting older and when they have their own jobs and what are they going to be spending money on, I think they're less likely to be spending money on going to the movies, going to actual theaters, because they're growing up watching the majority of their media on YouTube or on TikTok or well, actually, means just mostly those two. I think yes and no. Yeah. Of, of course, kids spend a lot of time on YouTube. Specifically, young boys. That's like eighty percent of the yeah. b- ma- male population is about eighty percent of the viewers on YouTube in general. yeah it's like <laughs> it's, oh it's, it's like drastically male a male heavy site uh-huh. for in terms of viewers. Wow. Now, I think there's something to that, but also the boys showed out for the minions. We can't <laughs> deny that they made that because of word of mouth, because of it being a trend. If you make a movie yeah. that people want to see, and you capture something in the culture, people still go see it. But is the but the thing is, like, that was a one-shot, and it was a fad. But all these kids—they still went and saw every MCU movie that came out, every Star Wars movie that came well, out. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. But, so, I mean, but they're going to a film not because of the film, more. So, but it's, that was an example of more so because it was— a funny trend to do and yeah it was it they was brought bananas and wore suits yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly because it's it for the cloud it, it was to it was to make view- videos you know what i mean that's it's, what it was for it's a work of art yeah. I don't know what you talking <laughs> about It is a brilliant film anthony <laughs> but i think that obviously the the biggest conflict and endeavor that movie studios have to undertake is They have to get people interested in going to the movies. They have to get people to be like, oh, I want to see that. I want to go to the theater. And so I think that over the last couple of years, the studio tempo releases have just been downgraded in terms of quality of storytelling. And that also, I think, is worrying for the future of theatrical releases and exhibitors not making enough money to really stay comfortable and stay afloat. So the studios really have to do a better job of trying to make films that would get people excited who aren't already film lovers like you and I and pretty much everyone who listens to the show. We just love going to the movies and we're going to see as many movies as we can. That's just who we are. But the average person, not everyone is a film lover. Not everyone is obsessed with movies. More, ca- Most people are casual moviegoers. They'll go... What was it? Twenty before the pandemic, twenty nineteen. People our age was what nine times a year. Well, that was in two thousand seven. Okay, two thousand seven. The average person yeah. they usually go to the movies about three to five times a year. That's very casual. That's That's not even every month. Like I couldn't imagine going to the movies only once every two months. Like that's that's insane. I've already like what I'm, do you do? Yeah, like what do you do instead? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, 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 I couldn't. But that. But the average person is not a like obsessed with movies like we and many people who listen to the show are. So. Studios, the challenge is to get people excited to go to the cinema and purchase a ticket. And that's really where I think they're kind of dropping the ball right now. Now, going back to Top Gun Maverick, we talked about how a couple weeks ago, Steven Spielberg was recorded telling Tom Cruise, you might have saved theatrical release. You might have saved. Basically, he said you probably saved exhibitors and allowed film theaters to survive the pandemic and lockdown. And most notably, the post-pandemic in terms of 2021, 2022. Now, the reason for that is because in 2022, I mean, Doctor Strange made what 900 million dollars. Uh, a couple other movies did very well. Thor: I mean, Love and Thunder, what six, seven hundred million? Those aren't rookie numbers. Those are those are good numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Top Gun: Maverick wasn't even the highest grossing of the year. Avatar 2 made more money than it. Well, no, but Avatar 2 actually. Made most of its money in in 2023. Actually, I'm sorry because it was a December. Well, still reason. broke a billion. Yeah, in, in 2022. But, so in 2022, Top Gun was the most. It made the most money, but it's not like it made astronomical numbers compared to those other big movies. Domestically, though, is number one. But here's the thing: the reason why Top Gun, in a way, in a very real way, and why Spielberg, if he's saying that it must be true, is because Top Gun Maverick played for so long. Now we got a lot of questions, and people ask us all the time: How are how are box office receipts split between studios and theaters? It's not exactly 50/50. Now it is, and it's absolutely not set for movie for at all. It depends on the movie release. It depends on the studio. It Depends on: Is this an inter ind- independent artsy film? Is this a big studio picture? So the, plus the chain yeah, the AMC ex- will get exa- a different cut than ArcLight would have got, than like indie theaters will, th- get. Th- than a private theater, just an independent theater. So it's always different, but we can generally say that it does. There is a, a chain of differences between the grossing ratio from week to week upon a film's initial release. So generally speaking, for a big film when it's released the studio distributor will get about 90% of box office, and theaters will get about 10% of the box office. And this is with the big blockbuster big, ones? Big blockbuster ones. Then in the second weekend, it'll go down about 80 to 20 for the split. And then for the third weekend, it'll go 70-30, and then eventually 60-40. And then by, by weeks five six seven eight, it basically reverses. And so eventually the theaters will start getting... The majority of the profits now this works for both both systems because the studio they get most of the money in the first few weeks so they are really dependent on the front loading of a film doctor strange making 250 million opening opening weekend like they want those opening weekend numbers that's really important to them and then for theaters they want films to play for as long as possible because by week seven what by week eight it's seventy thirty theater to the studio. And so the reason why Top Gun was so important to the theatrical release industry was because it played for months. And I can only imagine by month two what the profit margin was for, for theaters. They were probably pulling in 90, maybe even 95 to 5% of profits for box office. So the longer that Top Gun played, the more money theaters made of profit margin. As opposed to Doctor Strange... Or throw Love and Thunder, which made the bulk, the absolute bulk of their money in the first three weeks of release, where the theaters were barely getting much of the profits. So, because Top Gun played for, I think Top Gun played for almost four months in theaters. It's a while, man. They were and it had a re-release too. Yeah, they were absolutely milking that from, and in, in then Universal, I mean Paramount, was not getting much profit by month two, by month three, by month four. So. Theaters being able to completely take the bulk of the profit for the latter months of Top Gun's release, I do believe, really helped save that side of the industry because they were just they were probably close to the brink of falling under. Uh, One of our favorite chains, ArcLight, it's very it was very popular in L.A. They closed down. They did not survive, and they had a bunch of theaters around the L.A. area. They had like a dozen just in the L.A. area. They're great, man. So that showed how vulnerable. The theatrical side of the of the industry was and so that's what that's what spielberg meant and that's what we mean by top gun maverick really helping keep theaters afloat and we're not talking just amc we're talking about all of the private exhibitors like just the, these tiny art house theaters that only have two screens or one screen They're own they're probably family owned they're, they've they been around for decades they aren't a big chain those really were absolutely at risk of falling under many of them did but maverick really helped sustain them for those slow months of 2022 and it had such a huge domestic toll bringing in a ton of money to domestic theaters versus something like avatar having a way bigger box office globally but making most of its money overseas so it's not helping the the theaters that are domestically here but obviously you want money to be made everywhere and the movie theater cut of sales in 2021 they made 5.5 billion dollars on ticket sales ...for the box office, which was $21 billion of total for the entire year. So they made about a quarter? Yeah, so they made about a quarter of box office in 2021. And then in 2022, their box office total for United States and Canada... ...went up to $7.3 billion for ticket sales. So that's going up, which is a good sign, but you can tell that... ...that number got bumped up for sure because of movies like Top Gun, Maverick... ...and Avatar 2 making a ton of money for the box office... With long runs, domestic takes as well as Spider Man No Way Home in 2021 was a huge hit for domestic box office as well, and that's why theaters spend, I mean, ask so much money for concessions because they are movie theaters, chains, and exhibitors don't profit that much from a film's release. Obviously, when we I just mentioned how the studio gets the vast majority of profits in its initial first weeks of release, and so theaters are very dependent on concessions, and that's why popcorns eight nine bucks now that's why a bottle of water is five six dollars get that cup of water because if a movie doesn't perform well and doesn't last in theaters for very long movie theaters are basically screwed because then the studio is getting basically the only amount of box office a film makes on a bad run and then by week three when the movie nobody wants to see it in the third in the theater start getting more profit percentage there's no profit to be had so theaters are extremely dependent on concession stands, that's why they cost so much. Like Ant Man and the Wasp three, I know we're always banging on this one because <laughs> it's the most recent one, and yeah, yeah. It's, had, uh, it's a good uh, example. Tragic, yeah. huge drop at the box office. I won't call it tragic. Well, for for movie theaters, <laughs> okay, it's tragic. It, it, yeah, 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 yeah. So movie theaters, yeah. they're not making a lot of money off Ant Man and the Wasp quantumania because of the huge drops. It had a seventy percent drop week one to week two, then a sixty three percent drop from week two to week three. So. Disney got their opening weekend. Obviously, they didn't make their money back. They're probably gonna lose a hundred million dollars on that movie. Maybe, maybe more. Yeah. Maybe less. But ballpark. Yeah. But movie theaters, they're not making much profit or much income from Ant Man the Wasp. They'll make some, but it's not as much as they expect from a DC. I mean, a, DC, a Disney or MCU film. And that's why, still to this day, independent. I mean, quotation marks. Artsy films are still very important to theaters because they have a better profit margin for those releases. I mean, Everything Everywhere All at Once probably made more money than Ant-Man will for theaters, possibly. I would say so, because independently produced films, uh, they actually the distributors of those, they, they don't make the same kinds of deals for theaters. And so theaters, they'll end up being in the majority of the profit margin opening weekend for an independent release. And actually, this actually ties to Uh, I want to explain, because I still see to this day, like, there's this misconception of what an indie movie is, and I feel like there's this label, Indie Movie, and people just think, it's cheap and artsy. And that's what an indie movie is. That's not, it's not all, it's just independent film means that it's a film that's produced independently from a major studio. But that's becoming more rare. Yeah, very, much more rare in America. It's still, I mean, the majority of movies in Europe are, are independently produced, like that's still to this day, like very small movies are still making the most. I mean, uh, Triangle of Sadness made twenty five million dollars in Europe, which is big numbers for Europe. There's less screens in Europe than there are in America, so it's a, it's a big deal. They still are making those smaller scale movies on more often than we are. But an independently, independent films are just made. They're made by producers, people who either are experienced as producers or you know people with some money who want to help. So, uh, add to another film. Like maybe they heard about something or someone pitched a movie to them. They're like, oh, here's here's a few million dollars. And so independent filmmakers will self-finance or ask for help financing a, a project and they'll make a film. And it's a film that does not have distribution. Independent films, they can have the best talent. They can even have a good amount of money. I mean, you could, uh, independent films can get made for $30 million, $40 million. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't mean... Indie doesn't mean it's a two million dollar movie. Everything, everywhere at once is thirty an million dollar production. Yeah, yeah, the Russo brothers produced that, and so what happens is independent films—they're made, but they don't have distribution. Distributors are the four, the major studios: Warner Brothers, Universal, Paramount, uh, D- Disney, Sony. Sony. Those are the f- uh, five major studios, and they act as their own distributors. So they—they they do two things: they'll produce films. And they'll buy films. And so when they produce films, they're just going to distribute their own films. Sometimes they'll sell the international rights to another company. Like sometimes Universal will produce a film and then they'll sell their international distribution rights to like Warner Brothers. And then so Warner Brothers will get the profits of international distribution. That happens sometimes. Depends on the producers involved. Depends on the filmmaker involved. Like most notably, I'd say Tenet had split studios. Uh, it was a Warner Brothers production, but Universal pre- inter, uh, distributed internationally. That's an example of that happening sometimes. But generally, the studio will distribute their own films. And distribute means marketing, uh, putting actors and filmmakers on press tours, doing interviews, magazines, photo shoots, paying for parties, events, VIP things, uh, press events. Marketing in terms of paper marketing – billboards all over the country, uh, posters at every movie theater, uh, commercials, trailers edited for movie theaters, trailers edited for for TV, uh, advertisements and billboards you see at sports arenas. This is all the marketing team of the distribution company. So the studio uh, marketing is part of this, this distribution arm of it. So when a film is made independently, they don't have any of that. All they have is a movie. And there's two options that independent films can do. They can either... Try to make a deal with the studio. Obviously, the producers, most of the time, know other producers, know people involved in the studio. So they'll be like, hey, here's this film. Do you want to buy it? Or sometimes the the studio will already be signed on as a distributor while the, before the film's made. They'll be like, okay, we agreed to distribute this film. We'll buy it right now. And then the other route is if you can't just sell it to a studio, you go to film festivals. So the main reason film festivals is they exist is because – they are showcases for independent films to find distribution. So Sundance, Tribeca, Toronto, what have you, they select films to play at their festival. And then who goes there is a combination of filmmakers and producers and the heads of distribution studios. So, and fans. And fans, too. Yeah, fans get to go in, too, if you can get a ticket early enough. And so, But distributors and producers, they will go watch all these films and they are going with the intention of buying at least one or two films when they go to Sundance, and they, and then if they see a film they like, so like say like, I don't know like Fox or Paramount, they have people go to Sundance and they, oh man, this movie's great. Coda got yeah. spent. Uh, Apple Apple bought, spent Apple bought Coda for twenty million, exactly thirty two. Oh, wow, broke huge the record. broke yeah. record. And so so Apple, that's an example. Apple bought Coda. Apple did not make Coda, it did not produce it. Apple bought the rights to Coda and distribute it on their streaming service. Uh, but that's a streaming app. Like, generally, if we're talking about, like, Warner Brothers, they'll buy a movie, and then they'll handle distribution of theatrical exhi- exhibitors and marketing and stuff. And so what happens is the producers and filmmakers of that movie, like Coda, they got $32 million, and they probably got, if it, if it would have been a theatrical release, they would have gotten a little back end of the theatrical box office receipts. But with Coda, they just got an outright $32 million, so they made return on their investment in the studio. Apple, in this case, got a movie. And so that's how independent films find distribution. They, they're they made, but then they need to get sold to a studio to get, be able to be distributed. And marketing is a cost that a lot of people forget to consider when they're talking about how successful a film is. Now, one of the most expensive films ever marketed is avengers endgame that cost according to disney and mcu and marvel 200 million dollars just to market and that's what they're revealing to us because Whoa. obviously every movie has off the book costs fees reshoots things that you know we have no idea about so just saying that's 200 million dollars is just a simple way of saying that it costs a fucking lot to market <laughs> is every film going to cost 200 million dollars to market absolutely not roughly a safe estimate usually is maybe around half the budget 30 to 50 percent of the budget of the film probably went into that much money for marketing so if it's a 100 million dollars you can bet that about 20 to 50 million dollars was spent on marketing i mean just tv ads for a, a a typical mcu movie probably costs about 50 to 12 million 20 million dollars just tv ads not counting billboards commercials uh everything that they're advertising with other companies whether it's With, like, Chevrolet or Pepsi. (laughs) All this stuff costs money. So, when you see a movie, $200 million budget, $350 million at the box office, office, and you read all these articles, all these headlines, smash hit, super successful. (laughs) Look at how much money this movie made. It's a success. Made its budget back and more. Eh, No, you got to factor in again. The movie theater cut, which obviously for a big blockbuster like we've been talking about, the studio gets most of the profit for the first few weeks, but then it starts to go into the theater's end. But also, how much money was spent on marketing. So they're not making all the box office for the studio because you get a factor in all these costs that people never consider. So a lot of these movies, like the typical MCU, DC, Star Wars movie, they have to make... Roughly $600 million to become successful. 500 to 600 to at break At the low e- end. To break even. Yeah, at the low end. Because that's how much money these movies cost to make, especially something like even Ant-Man and the Wasp, $200 million budget, probably $250. Marketing, probably another 100 It's probably a $350 million movie. I mean, look at The Flash coming up. That's got to be over $400 million. I For would what's say. been going on with The Flash, if they don't make a billion dollars, that's probably going to be a loss. Same thing with Indiana Jones 5. Indy 5, that's probably going to be upwards of $400 million at the end of the day because of how long they've been in production, how many reshoots, all the rumors of reshoots they've been having, the marketing campaign. It was already about $200, $250 million it was, budget. Uh, Nasta just came out that it co- it's cost $360 million right now. For production yeah. and marketing, that's got to make a billion, yeah. and I doubt that makes a billion dollars because is Gen Z going to turn out for Indiana Jones like we will? I don't I think highly so. doubt that. No. So a lot of these studios, they're investing crazy amounts of money With these movies that that it seems like they don't have great plans for, especially like something with Indiana Jones and The Flash, obviously things have been changing in the studios and they've had all these controversies and issues that they necessarily could control or couldn't control. But still, when you're investing that much money into a film, and you kind of demand the audience turn out to collectively spend a billion dollars. That kind of gets on my nerves a little bit because they kind of blame the audience for their film not being successful. <sighs> and it's kind of like we don't we don't have to. It's not just because you're spending a ton of money doesn't mean we're obligated to go see your film. Of course we're gonna go see your film, but to to blame the audience for your movies not being wildly successful or not making. Eight hundred million dollars a year, a billion dollars every time they come out. It's kind of absurd and ridiculous that we're at that state with the box office with major studios. It's silly. And then another reason why studio temple films have really overtaken the studio system and have basically overrun the theaters is people don't buy DVDs anymore. People don't buy Blu-rays anymore. They're expensive too. <laughs> yeah. Thirty-five dollars for for Stuber. Like who's gonna get that Blu-ray? <laughs> 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 oh my god! What of, <laughs> of all movies you picked? That one. <laughs> first thing that came in my head. Um. So I mean, I think everybody's seen that Matt Damon clip where he he on hot ones. Oh, the back like yeah. DVD rentals. Yeah. So he basically was explaining how the D, the DVD market was and VHS, obviously. Yeah, yeah, was instrumental, but really DVDs because they were more expensive than VHSs, I would say they were cheaper to make for sure. They DVDs and Blu-rays were essential to the film industry because. Uh, studios weren't dependent on the box office to to really profit a movie could break even or could even kind of fail a little bit but then they know they can make a hundred million on DVD sales and the thing the difference between DVD sales is because is that the studio gets all the profit uh, especially when they're purchased online best buyer would have you wherever you buy them they'll get a small cut but not even close to the cut that theaters get of box officer receipts. so the studio is profiting so much more on the distribution of DVDs and Blu-rays. And so a a great example... There are a bunch of great examples of movies that became very profitable. Fight Club probably is the most famous example of a film that failed at the box office, but for years, it just decimated DVD sales and just kept selling, kept selling, kept selling. I think the most selling DVD of all time is Finding Nemo. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's, It's generated hundreds of millions of profit just on its DVD releases. And so DVDs can really save films... And make them not just break even, but make them extremely profitable for the studio. So they weren't reliant on only making front-loaded box office hits. Not only gearing themselves towards, we need to make as much money in the first two weekends as possible. The best way to do that is to make huge, extravagant science fiction, generally huge, bombastic movies. To get as much money in the first two weeks of release as possible. Because nowadays... Very few people buy DVDs. Very few people actually rent on iTunes on Amazon. It's pretty rare, and I I rent sometimes. I I tried it. I'll, uh, that three bucks is no problem for me. Yeah, Anthony, he shops at Trader Joe's. Everybody, <laughs> 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 because I I I mean, I mean the quality is still just top notch when you rent it on Amazon Prime. I mean they have the UHD most of the time. It's four K sometimes. So. You definitely are getting a big bang for your buck if you're going to rent a movie for 3 bucks as opposed to streaming it illegally, which I've never done before. Never. But studios, they can't depend on DVD sales anymore. They can't depend on the distribution of a film for decades like they used to. For they would be like, "Okay, this movie is just straight making profit. It was just an investment. Fight Club, the DVD sales are huge every year, year after year. People just keep buying Fight Club DVDs and Blu-rays." And then we just keep doing these re-releases of like a 4K UHD. Oh, yeah. They just keep buying the new edition. They can make so much money off of Fight Club. But now they don't have that. All they can do is really sell the licensing to another streaming app. They can either put it on. So Warner Brothers can either put it on. Well, I mean, they've supplemented the loss of DVDs with their streaming subscriptions but you're still not making as much money as you would from individually renting out every yeah. one of these movies versus giving access to your entire catalog for $7.99. I would say that they aren't even coming close to DVD numbers because, the no streaming, way. because they, they abandoned streaming in a way. When they went heavy in, in 2020, 2021, they realized we're not making that much money on streaming. So they, it, it, I don't think it's even close to a good uh, alternative to DVD sales. They're trying. But all that Warner Brothers can do is when their movie exits theaters, they can either put it on HBO Max, or they can license it to Netflix for two years for like fifty million dollars. That's basically how movies, how studios can keep profiting off a film after its theatrical release. And I mean Disney just lost two point four million subscribers in the s- in the fourth quarter of 2022. Wow. So from October to December 2022, they lost 2.4 million, 2. million subscribers. Wow. So streamers are starting to take a hit. Netflix, they're, they've been losing a lot of market share. They've lost about 30% of their market share in interest in terms of how many people are tuning in and streaming and, and subscribing to their content and their streaming platform compared to everyone else because everyone else is growing. Netflix is shrinking. And I want to go back to the opening weekend and I hope we've been kind of revealing to you why studios are so hell-bent on having the biggest opening weekends of all time because that's where they make the most of their profit. And it seems like movie studios, major ones, they're more more focused on when they make a big blockbuster film and they're putting 100 million to $200 million into a movie or more. All they're focused on is that opening weekend and they put all their energy, all their resources into getting as many butts in the seats the first five, six days that movie comes out rather than making a film that's not only great but will remain in theaters for a long time and keep making money because they don't want the movie theaters to get more profit off their tickets. They want to keep as much money technically away from the movie theaters (laughs) as possible. It's competition, yeah. And also, it kind of just takes away the, the quality of the filmmaking because it doesn't really matter anymore for a lot of them, for the stories. It's like it doesn't have to stay in theaters for five weeks and be number one at the box office. If they get the first two weekends and have number one at the box office those two weekends, that's what they're going for. And that's really what they're depending on. And it really kind of, you know, disappoints me. Avatar obviously is this kind of one exception where it was number one at the box office for like – what, seven or eight weeks yeah, or something like that. It was crazy, months, yeah. but the average Disney-MCU movie right now, Star Wars movie... Star Wars, yeah, but the average MCU movie right now is not staying number one at the box office. Ant-Man just got knocked out after two weekends at the, at the box Third office. Third weekend, it's not in the it's, number one spot. Yeah, he lost yeah. to Creed Three. They destroyed it. I expect Creed Three to have very good legs in word of mouth. And so I, I don't love the opening weekend obsession, but that's really what they're so dependent on. And also... There's a lot of misleading statistics, and I feel like log lines that studios and will give about movies. And I think one of them is the opening weekend is always misleading because when you yes. think of when you think of weekend, you think of Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, that's the weekend for a normal human being. Yeah. in the world, <laughs> but an opening weekend now starts on fucking Wednesday. <laughs> we used to have the midnight Thursday previews, which was awesome, and, and that was, was new. That was awesome, like 2010s. Dark Night, like started the whole thing of yeah. at midnight. You couldn't go at 4 p.m. on Thursday. Midnight, you had to be there for just that one screening. So technically, it was Friday, but it was still Thursday night, midnight screening. But now, every movie, it's they open up. Technically, some cities in L.A., you can go see a movie on Wednesday night when it's coming out on Wednesday Friday. Wednesday during the day. You can go at like t- 4, 4 p.m. Thursday. You can go afternoon. Thursday, yeah. you can go at 11 a.m. But that still is being counted as a weekend yeah. statistic, yeah. which is absurd. So... The, it's really every studio does it now it's they all really do it. misleading because you see every year they still have these 150 million dollar opening weekend but now they're counting box office from Wednesday to Sunday now not to mention They'll sneak it on a weekend, a holiday weekend, and they will also get Mondays in That's there a six as well. six-day weekend. <laughs> six-day weekend. Wednesday to Monday, $150 million opening weekend, best ever. I'm sorry, Ant-Man 3, we're still going to nag on you, but President's Day weekend, they said it was the biggest opening weekend for the Ant-Man trilogy franchise. Yeah, because it was five fucking days <laughs> of box office. Come on, guys. How Come do you on. not be number one for the trilogy? Like, of course... It's, so the opening weekend is such a misleading marketing slogan and campaign with a lot of box offices. It's, it, But it's extremely smart marketing because yeah, absolutely. because it shows that they're basically kind of misleading the public by saying, hey, this is really good. A lot of people are seeing this. You should see it too. It's kind of this like messed up form of marketing where they're making people think that it's extremely popular when it's really not. And well, it's and, still and, very popular. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but, like, but anytime they can say new record – Oh, my God, that that's such a great marketing ploy, just subconsciously subconsciously for people to just be like, oh, interesting. It's so because we're, we can't help but be attracted to success in some form. And so the more successful a movie is the more attention it gets from people. And so they want to inflate those numbers as much as they can. And using those extra days is a really powerful tool for them to get people to go to the theaters. It's just not impressive anymore. Like when The Dark Knight would make like $8 million on the midnight screening on Thursday night, that was impressive as yeah. hell. So The Dark Knight made $153 million on its opening weekend, and that was really Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Because it's midnight, yeah. Friday morning. So it really, it really did it in those three days. Avengers, the same thing. Avengers, I think, was still just Thursday midnight. Um, uh, maybe. They might have pushed it a little earlier. it might it's, have been like 8 p.m. even the first Avengers was not as inflated as it is now. It wasn't even close to what it is now. So I think those movies, you can still show how impressive that those releases were. But I think nowadays, when you're counting Wednesday to Sunday, it's not it's not a clear statistic of a film success. And it's also changed so much where... For an opening weekend. For when a big blockbuster's coming out, especially like a Disney movie, especially an MCU movie, when you go to the theater... There are no other screens playing anything but that movie. You'll go and there's like a showtime every 15, 30 minutes (laughs) to see Avengers Endgame. And it's almost unfair and kind of helping inflate these crazy wild opening weekends. Of course, people are going and people want to see the movies ASAP, which obviously we're there opening weekend every time, but still is also another misleading factor where they're shutting down half their theaters to other films and just playing this one movie every 30 minutes in multiple screens throughout each theater. Did you you know what happened with the Hateful Eight? No, what happened? Disney Disney strong armed all the movie theaters to n- basically only release their I think their Star Wars film that year instead of uh, Tarantino's Hateful Eight on their screens. So a lot of the theaters didn't play Hateful Eight. Yeah, because Disney threatened like we're not gonna give we're not gonna let you distribute our next film if you don't put this in front in, instead of Hateful Eight. Man, we saw Hateful Eight on projected on yeah. 70 millimeter film Ooh. at arc light wow that's one of my all-time favorite theater experiences it was great it was great Man, it's, it's wild, but there's a lot of misleading things that happening with box office reporting and everything like that. Even Especially when it's, like, number one movie in the world. It's like, what the fuck else is out right now? <laughs> What's it going up against? Of course, it, I'd be, uh, It'd be shocking if it was number one in the world. I don't expect Cocaine Bear to be number one in the world, so I'm not surprised. It almost it, did. It, 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 it almost, almost did. Man. Not in the world, no. There's some, there were some big Indian releases in the past month. True. But also, the days of a movie's opening weekend are also pretty different. The, oh, the Friday will always be the bulk of its weekend. Friday release will probably get about 35%. Saturday will probably get about 30%. Sunday will get 20-25%. to And now Thursdays are getting 10 to even 15% of their opening yeah. weekend. Thursday so, previews can be yeah. big. But Friday, Saturday, obviously still the hot spot for generating as much money as you can. Friday, obviously, still is number one for a film's release because more people want to see the movie ASAP. And it's more popular to be like, the first chance I get to see this movie, I want to go see it. So that's why Friday is often so popular. Uh, because it factored that in with it being a weekend, whereas Thursday, it's not exa- It's not a weekend. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, then Thursday are basically in order of its most valued, v- valuable day per movie's opening weekend release. I'd love to talk a little bit about ticket sales versus box office because inflation has taken a huge has made a huge effect on the box office pretty much every 10 years or so since going back to the 1920s. And I think it's really impressive when you see a movie sell like 100 million tickets or more. And I have a list of of the highest selling films in terms of ticket sales. But currently, the average ticket price in 2023 for a movie theater ticket is on average $9.17. What's that about, like 10 euro? So... When a movie makes a hundred million dollars box office, that's roughly making about selling about eleven million tickets total, which is a ton. It's a lot. It's a lot of people. Now, the most tickets ever sold for a film is Titanic, it sold three hundred eighty-two million tickets. Then we have Avengers: Endgame, three hundred fifty-one million tickets. Star Wars in nineteen seventy-seven, three hundred thirty-eight million tickets. Avatar, two thousand nine, three hundred twenty-eight million tickets. Gone with the Wind in nineteen thirty-nine. 285 million tickets but now movies like Titanic, Gone with the Wind and even Avatar, so in Star Wars for sure, they get a lot of re-releases. I, I will say Gone with the Wind in this case had many re- re-releases to get those tickets. Yeah, they did re-releases yeah. like almost every year it, in the 1940s. It came, it came out every year in the 40s. So Gone with the Wind is is kind of an outlier in this. But also it's really impressive still oh, yeah. because the population back in 1939 and the 1940s was under 3 billion total in the world, not to mention the, amount of, the percentage of people who could afford going to the movie theaters wasn't as high as it is for people today growing up yeah, in yeah, countries absolutely. where they have movie theaters. So it's still a really impressive feat. And then we have Sound of Music in 1965, 283 million tickets sold. E.T. the Extraterrestrial, 276 million tickets sold. Infinity War, 265 million tickets sold. Then we have Ten Commandments, Dr. Zhivago. Jaws at 242 million Star Wars: The Force Awakens, Spider Man: No Way Home, two hundred thirty-five million. The Lion King, The Exorcist, and then Jurassic World in two thousand fifteen. How many tickets did to Top Gun sell? Uh, I'm not sure, because against inflation in yeah. average ticket price cost, and I'm sure a lot of people saw that movie in IMAX. IMAX tickets are a bit more expensive, so I think because of the special screenings that people saw that film in. That probably jacked that box office compared to the average ticket price it probably went up to like 11 per ticket for top gun maverick mm-hmm. my assumption same thing with like avatar the way of water and why that's the prob- that why that's not on this list either now china is also a massive film market and they have a ton of films on this list however it's not as easily verified so i left a lot of those movie releases out because some some of them just say like 300 million tickets sold 400 million tickets sold. Like, who can really verify that? It's a solid number but, of 300 million. And those are only Chinese releases only in China uh-huh. versus these all on this list are worldwide releases. So gotcha. I have no idea if those numbers are accurate. So I left a lot of those Chinese films out because even though several of them are on this all-time ticket selling list, not really verifiable for these statistics. I left them out. I just did worldwide releases Understood. for this for this list right here. Gotcha. Now, before we continue more with the box office discussion we're having, let's head to our intermission, and then we'll come back. But before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast. We have five different tiers of support. $2, $5, $10, $25, and $100 tier per patron's. Every tier has awesome perks. You also all get access to a weekly bonus episode every patron gets to tune into. But at that $10 tier is the minimum for access to our Discord. It's an incredible community. We'd love for you to be a part of it. And then 25 you get a custom episode. 100 tier, you get to come on the show after three months like our friend Benjamin Cook, who you'll hear from in a little bit. Also, if you want to start your own podcast and want to learn how we did it, we have a masterclass online. The link is podcast masterclass.teachable.com get all the info behind the scenes of how we make our show on a daily basis all the lessons we've learned the mistakes we've made so that you can get the right foot forward when you're starting your podcast this episode is sponsored by our great friends at movieposters.com use our special promo code at the website raiders10 to get 10% off your order today they have a gigantic selection of pretty much every movie and tv show imaginable. I got you. I got you. (laughs) TV show imaginable. I just blinked. We are... What are those things on the TV? (laughs) We have a bunch of these posters on our set at our home in our bedrooms. They're beautiful posters, super affordable, and it's even better with our promo code Raiders10. They also do poster giveaways that we just did today. We announced a winner online today, so congratulations to our poster winner. We do two every month. Yeah, two every month from MoviePosters.com. We're going to do another poster giveaway next week so stay tuned for that in the meantime be sure to head on over to movieposters.com and use our promo code Raiders 10 today and let's get into our intermission and we're introducing a chosen one patron all the way from Australia might Benjamin cook who's been a patron in the chosen one tier for over three months meaning he gets to come on the show for a fun guest segment we're bringing him in for the intermission then we'll talk some more about the box office Benjamin how you doing pal
1: Good guys, how are you? Good to be on
0: the show. It's We're fantastic. <laughs> we can't thank you enough for the support you've shown us. And how long have you been listening to us? It's been over a couple of years, right? Uh, I think I found you guys
1: in maybe July, oh, July, August 2020.
0: Wow. wow. That's so, like right that's around right when we started. OG. Holy OG. crap. We yeah. made that's it all crazy. the way to Australia over yeah. on TikTok or whatever you yeah. found us on. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, I, think, <laughs> yeah. I think I saw you on
1: TikTok and then uh, I was like, yeah just flipped over to the podcast and been listening ever
0: since so we appreciate so it. happy appreciate it you so got much. some great posters in there too i yeah. like the joker poster that's fantastic and i love your shirt is that yeah. a cheetah a leopard what is that <laughs> did you kill it yourself uh, something like that but... i feel like that's your style you have like a gray one like kind like of that, a, yeah. a leopard i don't yeah. have a leopard no you have a gray shirt that's kind of like that, right? Leopard or animal print? Animal print. I don't have any animal, animal, print, animal print clothing, but maybe I should invest. You? Yeah. I definitely don't. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Maybe I will because yeah. I like that shirt a well, lot. Like I feel like you could rock that. I'll rock the fuck out of that. <laughs> it's, it's a nice show. I got a lot of compliments so on uh, yeah, it. He's a good rocking way it way better. <laughs> he, he, you look terrific. Now, <laughs> let's get into our movie quote competition first for the intermission. All right, guys. We'll go one by one. I have a pretty good one. Hopefully that can stump y'all. Anthony, give everyone a chance. I know we all know you like to... I don't get it right every time. No, but but we know you like to pop off as soon as the (laughs) question's over. Now, here's my quote competition. You're a very nosy fellow, kitty cat, huh? You know what happens to nosy fellows, huh? No? Wanna guess, huh? No? Okay. They lose their noses. (laughs) Anthony probably knows. I know. Do you know it, bud? Oh, it sounds so
1: familiar. I just can't, I can't place. So I can, I can almost picture the person saying
0: it, but I just can't, can't think of it. Anthony, go ahead. It's Chinatown. Chinatown. Polanski oh. cuts, cuts. Jackson nose. Yeah, he has the cameo. That's yeah. that's the director of the film. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Great quote. Thanks, man. I like the impression too. Yeah. It's pretty spot on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're a nosy fellow, kitty cat. <laughs> you don't have to do it again. But I can, safe. I can do. I can do it better. <laughs> Hold on, <I'm> recut. <laughs> Cut. all right here's my quote <clears throat> i could have killed them all i could have killed you in town you're the law out here it's me don't push it don't push it or i'll give you a war you won't believe let it go let it go <laughs> <laughs> hmm. all right it's obviously a western fellas Huh. i'm feeling clint eastwood maybe it's, not a, yeah, it's not a western. It's not uh, a western? It's not a western. Can you say it one more time? Yeah. Maybe c- I kind of put a little southern in there. It's not southern. But no, but you want a yeah. little Clint. I always put a good Ford. It's because it <laughs> I'm not an actor. I'm not going to do an accent at all, okay? I'm just going <laughs> to maybe throw you guys I'm off. i the law out here. I could have killed them all. I could have killed you. In town, you're the law. Out here, it's me. Don't push it. Don't push it. I'll give you a war you won't believe. Let it go. Let it go. Oh, what is this? You're going to hate yourself. Oh, my God. I thought you would get this. I'll give you a war you won't believe. Come on. I know. You, got, I you know. know that. It's the let it go thing that's just killing me. Holy crap. One more one more time, please. That... Just one more time. Is it ben? Jeff Bridges? No, not Jeff Bridges. Oh, All right. One more, one more time. One more time. Oh, it's you... Rambo. It's Rambo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rambo. Rambo. They drew first blood. Well, f- first blood. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I knew, it. I knew I'd knew i get yeah. it, man. <laughs> so, yeah, first, job. first blood, not first Rambo. Blood, yeah. But it's the first Rambo. Yeah. Rambo said it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ben, what you got? All uh, right, here we go.
1: I think we drink virgin blood because it sounds cool. It cuts the other guy. I think it's like this if you're going to eat a sandwich, you're just going to enjoy it more if you knew no one had sucked it. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: Can you say it again? <laughs>
1: And he goes, fuck. I think we drink virgin blood because it sounds cool. And then it's the second guy. I think it's kind of like this: if you're gonna eat a sandwich, you would just enjoy it more if you knew no one had fucked it.
0: Is it um? Oh, what's it called? What are we do in the shadows? Oh, we do in the shadows, my guess. It is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> nice. Jinx. Good one. <laughs> it's the virgin's blood because it's like dry humor. <laughs> I saw this great Taika interview where he 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 was doing an interview and he said. He was worried while making that and he went to Jermaine Clement and they they both directed that film. He's like, Do you think that people are going to like this? This is getting pretty bad. And then Jermaine goes, <laughs> Jermaine goes, People need stupid shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, The Fly of the Concords is great. Oh, yeah, that. it's just the silliest humor. I yeah. love it. It's <laughs> yeah. a
1: great quote. Uh, All right. That's, that's, that got me through my younger years uh, going out. Me and the boys just always. Just go so. around seeing Fly of the and stuff. Oh, we used so. to fly, like, love You it, like Fly man. of the yeah, Oh Yeah, we loved we, it. Yeah, man. yeah, love it, love it. It yeah. was, on, was on HBO. HBO.
0: Did you buy our a kebab? Did you, buy our kebab? <laughs> Did you walk outside of her? <laughs> Every
1: week. I am the rhinoceros. <laughs>
0: they have, they have uh, one coffee cup. Remember the coffee cup one? He's like, what about me? They're like, oh my God, I love that show. I love their rap names. Yeah. The, the rhinoceros yeah. and the Hip-Hop Abotimus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man alright let's do the movie release year quiz guys what year did a few good men come out oh. I want the truth can't yeah. handle the truth Anthony <laughs> <laughs> I'm going 1994
1: 4 Ben yeah I'm going right. 93 90,
0: yeah the correct answer is 1992. Oh. Damn. Good one. Almost, guys. Aaron Storkin coming in hot with that one. Whew. That was his first screenplay. Well, theatrical screenplay? Because he was doing West Wing, right? West Wing was after that. Was it? Yeah. Damn. 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 <laughs> 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 Remember, mom was watching it. Was, it West Wing was mid 90s. Yeah. It was around that. Anyways. Anyways. Guess this movie release here, Copland. No, still starring Sylvester still Stallone. Nineteen ninety-five. Ben. Nineteen ninety-seven. Nineteen ninety-seven is correct. Oh! Way to go! Nice. Way to go! James is an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez! Fucking moron! Whoa! Uh, whoa, man! <laughs> We don't need to do that here, okay, man? The cameras are rolling. <laughs> That's how I talk to James off-camera. <laughs> I'm a monster. He is. Uh,
1: so my movie is Highlander.
0: Highlander. 19. It's, it's got to be 80s, right? 1989.
1: 1987. Oh,
0: close. 1986. Ah, uh, damn! They can that's only old, be one. That's an old movie now. <laughs> yeah. Holy crap! Almost forty years old. Yeah, you know, since Queen's the soundtrack, you got to
1: throw it into the eighties for it. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. All right, movie pop quiz time, gentlemen. What films has Robert Downey Jr. received Oscar nominations for acting in? I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna guess that he has. Two nominations for Chaplin and Tropic Thunder. Ben, yes.
1: Yeah, I would uh yeah. Chaplin and yeah, Tropic Thunder, he was uh up against Heath ledger. So yeah. Uh yeah,
0: okay. too. Bing 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 bing. You guys are correct. Nice. We make yeah. If anyone hasn't seen Chaplin, watch it ASAP. It's incredible. He should have won. It's a terrific movie. It really is. Okay, here's my quiz question. I went, I went all Stallone today. Sounds all all like sly. <laughs> How many Rocky movies did Stallone make before he made Rambo uh, First Blood? And when you say make, you mean directed or just like. How like... many Rocky movies came out before gotcha. First Blood came out? I'm going to guess one. I'm going to guess two. Three! Wow. It came ah. out after Rocky Three, the next year. I was trying to think of, like, how shredded was he? <laughs> <laughs> he was Rocky IV shredded. Yeah, yeah, you're That's right. That's why. Because, yeah, he was absolutely, yeah. He was in great, sh- great shape in 3, but, like, Rocky IV was, like, the super cut, and he was already, he got super cut for Rambo. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But he, yeah, yeah, Rambo. That year, he was just, yeah. like, ridiculously, like, not an ounce yeah. of body fat. I think he just put everything into Rocky movies for a few years, and then w- when he had some time, he he was like, okay, I finished this. Arc of the Rocky storyline. I'm going to do uh, Rambo now. It's crazy to get your body Rocky, in that. Yeah. No,
1: go ahead, bud. Uh, well, Rocky was like his little baby. They got him, uh, you know, shot him yeah. up in the yeah. and stuff like him. So, yeah, I suppose that would be, that would probably be more priori- priority than this new Yeah. New sort of. Uh,
0: I, I have a lot sort of respect of for that. him. I have so much respect for him because you'd be surprised how many of his movies that he wrote and directed that he started in the work ethics off yeah. the charts too especially with rocky Four, because directing and writing and starring in that movie but also the, the the incredible shape he was in like to the discipline for being that shredded is no body unsafe fat at all. Yeah. that is not safe thing to do yeah. he was so dehydrated and out of it every scene like in between takes he would be doing handstands just to get blood flowing into his head because he was really? just like he's not eating anything he's yeah. not drinking anything during those sequences for like days like he is just, like, skin tight as hell. So, like, it's really... He looks incredible, but that's so unsafe. Yeah. Especially when you're making he, a movie. He looks like a comic book character in that movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? That yeah. physique is insane. He had to compete with Arnold, you know? Yeah. What do we got next? We have pop quiz from Ben. Yeah. So,
1: mine is...
0: I love how we always Uh, end up talking about a man's physique. (laughs) It's it's pretty frequent. (laughs) It's every episode. (laughs) That's it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, What was the first feature length animated movie ever released?
0: I'm going to go Steamboat uh, Willie. For feature length. Yeah, I'll say that as well. Steamboat Copycat. Willie. That was, gonna be, that was gonna be my guess,
1: <laughs> according to uh, my sources. It's uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh, oh, Steamboat
0: Willie must not have been a feature then. Yeah, it was probably short. A short. Yeah. Wow. Holy wow, cow. that's that's pretty late for. Do you a have feature the year League? on that? Was that like 53 or something? That's like I'm pretty sure Snow White's nineteen thirty something,
1: isn't it? Um, Is it? I've oh been, I'm uh, Snow
0: White. In the Seven Doors original, nineteen thirty-seven. Whoa! Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that movie actually that made Disney a viable studio. It was it made like seven million dollars at the box office. Four hundred eighteen million box office for inflation. Yeah. Um. But it it did huge numbers, and that allowed them to make uh, more films. Like that was the big hit for them. Holy that was crap! It. Yeah. It made Although eight- they actually their next few releases were actually pretty lackluster in comparison. And then, then they hit off again with um, Bambi did really well, and Cinderella did really well. Right now, it's still domestically n- number ten all time box wow. office wow. adjusted wow. for inflation. That's crazy, number ten. It's beautiful too. Beautiful animation. It is beautiful. Hey, Anthony, do you have any um, haters this week, or any? Oh unsubscribes? yeah, we, we got some haters. We got <laughs> some, we got some haters. <laughs> I had I have one real hater. I put it in our story, but we we posted a clip of Prisoners on TikTok, and then this guy on TikTok wrote, It was a good movie. Seen better, but still good. <laughs> <laughs> like, seen better? <laughs> like, you don't have to write that. <laughs> like, what kind of comment is that? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> that's unbelievable. I mean, yeah, there are better movies, but that's just, like, so demeaning to a movie. <laughs> yeah, it seen better. <laughs> Unreal. All right, next up, I posted a clip of another prisoner's clip about the hint that Denis Villeneuve gave to the audience of who the killer was, and I wrote in the caption, anyone catch this question mark? And then J. J Roman wrote, you about to catch these hands, brah, unsubscribed. (laughs) (laughs) That might be my favorite ever. (laughs) And then our prisoner's episode, Spencer Gurk wrote, are you guys trying to get de- demonetized by saying Alex Jones so much? Unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was we re- honestly worried yeah. when we were recording. When we the were episode- recording, I was like, we keep saying Alex Jones a lot, and then we were watching. I'm like, holy crap, his name's Alex Jones. I yeah. I like, double checked. I'm like, it's that's his name. Yeah, <laughs> but I didn't even know who that person was until well after I saw this movie. So that's okay. The first time you saw the movie yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah. Next up in our Born Identity episode, user nw seven wrote, Swiss is not a language. In Zurich, we speak Swiss German unsubscribed. Sorry. Thank you for the clarification. <laughs> That's so cool. People from Zurich listen to us. Yeah. And then in TikTok, King of the North, 77, I didn't initially realize that it was an unsubscribed comment. It... Did you go back and forth with the <laughs> Once, just once. <laughs> he wrote, because uh, <laughs> I said it was the clip we are talking about how it inspired Casino Royale and its approach to Bond. Yeah. How born inspired the change in Bond. And uh, King of the North wrote, "Jason Bourne, 2016, truly is a masterpiece, <laughs> but it came out after Bond unsubscribed. I kind of skimmed it because it was just like there. Was, I did so many comments. Sometimes when you reply to like 50 comments in 10 minutes, you kind of just get like I just don't brain do that anymore, dude. <laughs> and no, so I wrote, I wrote, bro, Identity came out in 2002." And then they wrote, never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure 2016, Jason Border is a standalone film. <laughs> King of the North. And then I, and, and Get then I wrote, was. he's absolutely right. Not, <laughs> way, way to go, King of the North. <laughs> Troll Anthony all the time. <laughs> roasting me on that one. I deserved it. He did <laughs> that deserve it. It was great, it. <laughs> though. What a great response. I'm pretty sure it's a standalone. <laughs> and then uh, in our Born Supremacy episode, user SG2 wrote, in your Eternals episode over a year ago, you called Harry Styles' character Sky Fox when it's actually Star Fox. Unsubscribed. <laughs> I did that. That was me. Okay. Does it matter? <laughs> Sky Fox, Star Fox. Say fucking thing. It's Harry Styles. <laughs> I like how they commented it in a different episode though. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, this is that's was good. We have a funny one. We have a great new five star review from Jean Franco the best film podcast. If you're looking for a film podcast to listen to, this is probably the one for you. And I'm not even saying that because I'm a fellow Massachusetts native. This is the podcast that really got me into podcasts as I've been going back and listening to their old episodes. And I can't get enough. Keep up the great work. Love to hear from a fellow Masshole. Thanks so much. Thanks, pal. Another Bostonian guy. Yeah, kid. Yeah, kid. Uh, All right. That wraps up our intermission. Oh, wait. Oh, stream Hold recommendations. Yeah. Streaming recommendations. I'll go first. Mine is season one of True Detective on HBO Max. It's incredible. I highly recommend watching it soon because we might be covering it very soon. We are covering it. We're covering it. (laughs) (laughs) We'll give you some time to watch. No no need to be cryptic, Jim. It wasn't exactly cryptic. (laughs) My streaming recommendation is Dr. Zhivago, made by David Lean in 1965. It's one of the greatest films I've ever seen. It's uh, not available for free anytime soon, but you can rent it pretty much anywhere. I rented it on Amazon for 2.99, and it's well worth it. Uh, make sure you, you rent it though, and don't stream it because you want the high quality. It's just one of the most gorgeously f- uh, filmed movies of all time. An incredible story, remarkable performances. It's just hands down, flat out one of the greatest films I've ever seen in my life. Number eight on the all-time adjusted for inflation domestic box office. Yeah, as well. what 285 million tickets or something? Something Sold? ridiculous. Yeah. Something so ridiculous. it was extremely successful when it came out. And it's just a remarkable film. I I adore it. $1.2 billion adjusted for inflation. Wow, that's crazy. For a a three-and-a-half-hour movie, that's pretty impressive. People used to like good movies, man. (laughs) Coming in hot with that one. (laughs) Uh, Facts are facts. (laughs) All right, Ben, do you have a recommendation?
1: Yeah, I'd uh, I'd recommend Ted Lasso on uh, Apple. It is uh, like... I'm not a massive I'm not not really into soccer but it is a phenomenal series. Uh, the third season's about to come out on the 15th of March so if you haven't seen it you should definitely try and watch the first two seasons and and uh, get on it. It's uh, it's great.
0: I've heard nothing but great things about that show. Same. I think I'm going to watch it. Also, do you in Australia do you call it soccer or football? We call it soccer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, soccer. all right. I didn't know that. Are so we the our, only two countries our, in the world? Probably
1: yeah uh yeah, well our football's uh a f l so oh. that would be real. Oh. and then um yeah then you sort of i suppose you got the american football which we don't we call american football but it would just be it's very mm. much more closer to the rugby sort of thing yeah and then our our footy's just a f l and footy, but, footy, but footy. soccer soccer is getting very uh very big over here because we've yeah a lot of people from england coming over and they're dominating it over here but yeah oh <laughs> getting some big paychecks coming over here
0: <laughs> i love <laughs> yeah. that yeah. It happens in america too did you know that um i just found out that marcus Mumford does all the music for ted lasso yeah that's super cool because he's friends with uh sudeikis. yeah yeah because sudeikis was remember that uh um one of their music videos sudeikis bateman ed helms oh, so Yeah, that, <laughs> that, was, that was a great video that was a great video Will Fort? Will Fort? yeah Will Forte. Will Forte. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Will Forte. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get it right, man. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I'm sorry, Will. He's a he's a he's a big fan of the show. He's a two (laughs) dollar patron. Sure, he could afford more, but he's down there at two. Um, Let's get back into our episode about talking about the box office studios. And I have a quick question for you, Ben. How many times a year would you say you go to the theaters to see a film?
1: It has changed dramatically since i've had children but ah. um, prior to and also so this would be prior to COVID. so i used to go at least once a week pretty much it was I, you know i love absolutely love the love the movies love the love going to the movies and sitting in there and and just you know shutting off my mind for those two hours like you know you know you can't be distracted when you watch a movie at home you, know, you can pause it, you can leave, you can, someone can call you away. you have going to take that phone call. Whereas when you're in the movie theater, it's just, you know, much, much greater experience. So, yeah, I, I used to go very, very, very regularly. And then uh, now, unfortunately, it's only dropped down to, you know, maybe once a month. Or <laughs> or Those damn months. kids. It's still to... pretty good. Once a <laughs> yeah. month is
0: still pretty good, though. No, yeah, yeah. It's more than uh, yeah. average. Yeah. Still yeah, more than average. on average, it's about three to five per year for the average person, but yeah. not for enthusiastic moviegoers. People our age, it's about, what, seven to ten per year. So, for, like, moviegoers, yeah. for, like, fans, but still it's down to about three to four wow. for people in our, our age group. group. Because Well, that was according to 2021. It's probably mm. been going up slowly. Yeah. But I would say it's probably about five. How many times do we go a year? Probably like thirty to forty times a year, easily, man. Yeah. It's it's pretty ridiculous. We see every major release, but also we see lots of independent film. I would yeah. say probably like forty to fifty times last yeah. year. I went to the movie theaters, yeah, for sure. Same. I, I think I've been like the five dream. times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ten AM matinees are my favorite. <laughs> Those are my favorite. But I we we watch a lot of movies though. Do you still watch a lot of films streaming at home? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Like that was. You know, when when COVID hit and everything was was sort of getting released, it was great for me. (laughs) Like I was everything earlier, Um, but uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I um, I'm glad they're back in the theaters. But yeah, we yeah, as soon as they sort of come out on straight to demand, like uh, yeah, we'll get it and watch it and see it that way as soon as we can. Like I I hate I hate not know. Like when a movie's coming out, everyone's like, oh, it's really good. If I don't get to see it, like I Try to avoid avoid everything I can, so I don't yeah. nothing gets spoiled too much. And uh, so yeah, I um, yeah that, that's that was one of the good things. But I'm glad it's starting to turn back and everything. So no no theaters and stuff like that. So
0: I posted um uh, my letterbox for February online, and I got a lot of, a lot of funny hate comments because it was only 16 movies. <laughs> but I have there's two reasons. First of all. We got Hogwarts Legacy yes. in February. <laughs> yes. So a lot of my movie time was supplemented by flying around Hogwarts, and then I watched five movies that are over three hours long too. So and a couple couple of them were four, over four hours. Yeah, so. I think I watched three or four movies that were over three hours long for yeah. sure. I Watched a lot of old movies, but uh, yeah, lots of lots of Hogwarts Legacy in February. So I didn't have that many movies on my on my watch list that that month. Yeah busy, man. I'm already, it's, a short got, mo- it's a short month. <laughs> I already got four in, in March, and it's only the fifth, so I'm, yeah. I'm getting those numbers back up. I would love to talk about the highest-grossing films of all time, as well as the most profitable films of all time, and the films that have the largest return on investment, and there are three differences between these. Yeah. So let me run through the list of the highest-grossing films of all time. This means the most money made total for that film at the box office, not necessarily how much it made return on investment or profit. So, the all time gross leader is Avatar the original. It's at 2.9 billion. Avengers Endgame at 2.8 billion. Avatar The Way of Water 2.2 billion. Titanic 2.2 billion. Star Wars Episode 7 The Force Awakens at 2 billion. Avengers Infinity War 2 billion. Spider Man No Way Home 1.9 billion. Jurassic World 1.6 billion. That's why they keep making those. (laughs) The Lion King 1.6 billion. The Avengers, which is the original Avengers. Didn't it just used to be called Avengers when it came out? Marvel's The Avengers is what it was called. Now it's The Avengers, 1.5 billion. Furious 7 That's the Fast <laughs> franchise Not just an angry person <laughs> Furious 7 point five. Billion. Did you see that TikTok About the guy who, who jokes About how every title Is completely different Yeah they don't even know The one did. before uh, like, uh, The Fast and the Furious Then Fast and Furious Too Fast Too Furious Then just Furious 7 And then just fast, Tokyo Drift yeah, F9 <laughs> F- yeah. F- 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 The Fast F- Saga <laughs> 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 Crazy Top Gun Maverick at 1.49 billion, Frozen 2 1.4 billion, Avengers: Age of Ultron 1.4 billion, Black Panther 1.3 billion, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 1.3 billion, Star Wars Episode 8: The Last Jedi 1.3 billion, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World: The Fallen Kingdom 1.3 billion, Frozen 1.2 billion, and then Beauty and the Beast at 1.2 billion. Also, and every one of these movies has been released from 2009 and on that's the top 20 highest grossing movies of all time and that that's just box office total you know that's not factoring in ticket sales like we talked about earlier as well as inflation that's not profit now that's just total can i guess what the next two are on that list no for um most profitable and then highest profit margin oh yeah for sure i'm guessing paranormal activity for highest profit margin and then black swan for most profit most profitable. All right, so let's go to return on investment, we'll start with that. Now, this is obviously how much money you're making in terms of how much you're investing in the film. Number 1 is actually Deep Throat, it came out oh. in 1972. $25,000 budget made $22 million. Facing the Giants, $100,000 budget, $38 million box office. Now, Paranormal Activity there's a misconception how much that budget was. It's actually higher than people think. A uh-huh. lot of people think it was like $10,000, but it was actually reworked a little bit and was all the way up to I think it was like $90 million for a budget. 90 million? Something like that, yeah. What for a budget? Yeah. Wait, 90 million. It was reworked. For Paranormal Activity? For Paranormal... Let me double check. I'm pulling it up. I'm pulling <laughs> it up. Wait, that movie was $90 million, bro. No, I mean $90,000. i am sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking guy. 90000 <laughs> He's like, yeah, $90 million for the cheapest looking movie ever. This <laughs> <laughs> is <it's> tasteful. <laughs> you were so to dead serious. I love that when it came out. Yeah, you got a big bar. That's how you it. wash money. You make a. <laughs> you say you make ninety million dollars. I was like, how high are you? Imagine you give someone ninety million dollars to make a movie, and they make that. You're like, where did the fucking money go? It was Visual effects, man. <laughs> um, but it was it was about dollars ninety million, ninety <laughs> thousand. I'm sorry. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I can't talk sometimes. One hundred ninety-two million dollars, but. The budget again went to about two hundred, actually two hundred thousand dollars total, because it, original production was fifteen thousand, but then it got reworked with an extra two hundred thousand dollars. Post production, Post. yeah. So that actually wasn't as high on the list of oh, okay. profitable films. So gotcha. actually, budget two hundred thousand dollars. Still very successful film. (laughs) It wasn't $200 million? No, 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 no. (laughs) Now let's get back into our return on investment list. Let me get back in because I had to just Google my mistake. (laughs) I can't believe you actually Googled to make sure paranormal activity wasn't $90 million (laughs) No, no, to get the box office. (laughs) Okay. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original for a budget of $140,000, made $14 million. The Gallows in 2015, $100,000 budget, made $7 million. Eraserhead, directed by David Lynch, first movie, $100,000 budget, $4.6 million. An Inconvenient Truth in 2006, $1 million budget, $46 million. And the list just keeps going on and on. Now, return Now profitable, I want to talk about. Profitable. Let's see what we got here for the most profitable films of all time. And this is also factoring in the percent on investment return. Now, number one is My Big Fat Greek Wedding, according to CNBC. Return on investment on this was 6,150% on a budget of $6 million. It grossed $370 million worldwide. That movie was crazy successful. E.T., budget of $25 million, made $793 million. Slumdog Millionaire... $15 million budget, $375 million global. That's absurd. Pretty Woman, $23 million, $463 million global. Whoa! Greece was $20 million, pulled in $394 million globally. Star Wars, the original in 1997, budget of $40 million, pulled in in $775 million. American Beauty in 1999, $20 million budget, $356 million box office number eight passion of the christ in 2004 budget of only 35 million dollars pulled in 612 million home alone 30 million dollars pulled in 477 million dollars at the box office the number 10 on we have on this list we have ghost in 1990 35 million dollar budget grossed 506 million dollars Unless you can keep going through movies like this, Jaws is on here. The Hangover is on here. I mean, The Hangover, thirty-six million dollars pulled four hundred sixty-seven million dollars. But then we even have a movie like Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King, budget of one hundred eleven million dollars, made one point one billion. That budget was only one hundred eleven million. So there's three hundred million dollars basically total for all three. That's crazy. Just that That's one absurd. Movie. Only one hundred eleven million. That's crazy. Like. The average, like even three you know, student... hundred
1: thousand for the whole trilogy. You look yeah. at how amazing that turned out, and and that yeah. was uh, then. You look at the Hobbit, like I know you know the Hobbit's still great movies, but yeah. imagine their budget compared to the Lord of the Rings, and
0: uh, it's nuts. Yeah. I-, I believe each of those budgets was closer to two hundred million for each movie. For what the Hobbit? Yeah, probably. Mm. So it's it's crazy to see how much money movies can actually make. When you make just a great film, you don't have to put $200 million into a budget. You can still make a great profit. And I mean, $10 million profit is still a successful film. $100 million is obviously even more successful, but that's why I wish studios would go back to that 30 to $50 million budget for these productions and these movies because you can still make a really great movie that could just take storm and just make a ton of money. I mean, My Big Fat Greek Wedding pulling in over $400 million on a $60 million budget, that's insane. Yeah, and I mean, the kinds of movies that make a boatload of money at the box office have changed from decade to decade, and we often say, I mean, I think the quality of storytelling is just, it was so great in the 60s and 70s, and then now it's really franchises and sequels. I mean, the past couple of years, uh, in 2022, I believe, 2022, the top 10 movies were all sequels except for... The Batman, but it's still basically you know it's a franchise. But like the top ten were Top Gun Maverick, Black Panther Two, Avatar Two, Doctor Strange Three, Jurassic World Dominion, Minions, Rise of the Gru, The Batman, Thor: Love and Thunder, Spider Man No Way Home, Sonic the Hedgehog Two. All sequels except for the Batman, which is still like it's the tenth Batman movie. So. And that's why Warner Brothers is changing the ending to I Am Legend to make a sequel. Yeah, but then you look at movies like the top two movies of of 1965, The Sound of Music and Dr. Zhivago. Like, those are remarkable movies and historical movies and incredible in 1957 The Bridge on the River Kwai was the most highest-grossing film of that year. In 1969, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid was the number one movie at the box office that year. Even going back to 2000, though, with Castaway being the number one movie at the box office. It's It's an awesome movie. In 1973, The Exorcist, with 109 million tickets sold— and then The Sting which is an, another Robert Redford Paul Newman film was number 2 and then George Lucas's American Graffiti that was the top 3 of that year like that's really amazing they're all original films with like incredible stories that had never been seen before and then in the 80s like i mentioned earlier the 80s is really where franchises started you get back to the future it, so 1985 it went back to the future Rambo 2 Beverly Hills Cop Rocky 4 and then we get uh, The Goonies, Police Academy 2. Those were in the top 10 in that year. That's The 80s is where franchises started really taking off. And then in 1996 was like the year and decade of action movies where that year Independence Day, Twister, Mission Impossible, The Rock, and Ransom were the top five movies of that year. So franchises and high-concept, uh, big-budget action movies really dominated. And now we're in the 2000s the 2010s, to 2020s franchises, IPs, uh, comic books, uh, remakes, sequels are really, really dominating box office charts. That's a really good point. I never thought about it like that. There's like, no sound of music, too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 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 but it's. I mean, I'm kind of worried, like, the fact that top the top movies of 2022 were all sequels. I'm not worried about Top Gun. Like, that was awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah, but still, it's a sequel. You <laughs> know, know what I mean? The, it's the obsession. I saw this great quote from Ryan Reynolds, actually, this morning talking about Free Guy and how that was a a successful film, but how the studio already wants to make a sequel, and he said, like, why do we have to make a sequel to everything? Like, can't we just make a movie? Yeah. Like, do we have to make a sequel to Free Guy? Does anyone even want a sequel to that? Well, no. There's this thing where it's like people... We have this addiction to new. New something new. New product. New iPhone. New app. New thing. And it's like, once a movie comes out, people are like, when's the next one come out? Like, remember when Spider-Man No Way Home came out? Literally... The next day, everyone's like, "Is Tom Holland gonna be in the next Spider-Man?" Like, well, who- Amazing Spider-Man three was yeah. trending for months. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's it's not just When's studios. It's, off, it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's yeah. this fear, this fervor in the public of we always need another, we always need something new. Like, we can never embrace. Like, I just like all the headlines about Creed three are about. Is Creed 4 happening? Michael B. Jordan confirms Creed 4. Like, why are we talking about Creed 4? Creed 3 just came out. Like, why do we always, there's this obsession with the next one, obsession with something new. Even when something is new, we're already moving on to the next one. And so it's not just studios. It's like a lot of people just like, they're obsessed with like, I want the next one. This isn't enough. Where's the next one happening? Is Tom Holland going to be in the next Peter Parker again? Like, let's enjoy the movie. It just came out. You know what I mean? Here we go again. Here we go again, again. again. Somebody left the fridge <laughs> open. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Although I will, I cannot wait to see Mission Impossible Seven this year and <laughs> John Wick Four. The
1: thing is, as well, everyone, everyone's after those, those good old Easter eggs, and, and now it's so like they they get all these sequels. Everyone's looking for these amazing things, and and, and when this, when people are doing the sequels, but they sort of want to do their own original ideas with them. People get so disappointed. They're like, "Oh no, it's nothing to do with, with how I thought that was going to go." Or, it's not you know, part the of the canon. Set up this, like, yeah, yeah, and so it's, you can't sort of win with it as well. Like
0: it's lose lose. It's hard to please. It's
1: def- yeah. It's it, We've become like an Easter egg type of type of world. Now. Everyone wants. Oh, did you see that little tiny thing in that and all that? Like, oh, that means this and that means this. And sometimes a movie can just mean, you know. This yeah,
0: is what's there's going there's on. an That's obsession thing. obsession with like analyzing movies before they come out too like people there's so many youtube channels that overanalyze trailers and like i just saw images people someone posted on instagram of joker 2 filming and it gave away a clear spoiler and i'm yeah, like i don't want to look at them. i wish i didn't see that because yeah. now i like that i didn't i want to walk into joker 2 not knowing anything about it but then the people are just like constantly just try just for attention for views for clicks for likes we're going to overanalyze this trailer we're, i'm going to break it down frame by frame we've done that a bit though <laughs> <laughs> Everything we know about Oppenheimer we didn't break down the we didn't say, well no, we're getting we were theorizing, but people were like, no we're I know, analyzing I know. frames of a trailer to try and pull out spoilers." You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We didn't do that with Oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah. We were just talking about the general story idea, our theories and thoughts of the of of the film's trailer. We weren't like, here's a screen grab. Okay, this definitely shows evidence that this character is gonna show up, and then this is probably gonna happen. Like hey, this 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 actor. What like, brand hat is he wearing? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> much overanalyzing. Trailer didn't doesn't really give away too much. where exactly a lot of the ones where I think you guys might have spoken about uh with the trailers, trailers these days they give away the whole movie. You're like, what do I need to go to the movie for? I've just seen it <laughs> in that two, minute- 3. two minutes. Ant i so- I'm sorry,
0: like- we saw the whole yeah, Ant Man movie in yeah. its trailer. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I don't know if you've gotten to the theater to see it, but the trailer is the movie. Uh, right? yeah, I did. I managed to get to Oh man, um, yeah, but I'm really glad that the box office is coming back. That people are going back to theaters, and I'm excited for this year to see what the box office is going to be like. We have some really big movies coming out. We have, obviously, Oppenheimer. Nolan's movies—they are usually very successful. Tenet was his first bomb. Well, I mean, it wasn't a bomb. It be three hundred fifty million, but it, it didn't make its money back. Yeah, you know, it was—it lost money. But that's to the, make that to make that much money during lockdown—that's insane. Impre- I think it's so yeah. impressive. But that was like yeah. a two hundred fifty yeah. million dollar budget yeah. movie. That was one of the biggest yeah. movies ever expensive. made at the time. Yeah. So, like, to see. His movies still make that much during lockdown. We had, we drove to San Diego to see that. I can't wait to see what the numbers look like for Oppenheimer. And I really hope people will go see it because I think it's going to be a really important and interesting film for audiences to see in box office going forward. Well, what makes Nolan special is because of his brand and because his fans like us are so devout and will just turn out to whatever he makes. It kind of his films. Oppenheimer is an example of it. It's kind of like those films that come out came out in the seventies where. It was just a really unique idea, uh, historical fiction, and it's going to dominate the box office just like those movies used to dominate the box office. And that's why I think Nolan's so special. Tarantino is still like that. He's so special where he can make a movie like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and it can make over $200 million. So we still have filmmakers like that where they're still telling unique original stories, avoiding... I mean, obviously Nolan's made his fair share of fucking gigantic action movies, but at least he's trying to make other movies too. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I'm very excited about that. John Wick four, I think, is going to demolish Mission Impossible seven. going to demolish these movies are going to eat. You know, they're going to be a big year. I think it's going to be a huge year. Maybe 30 billion at the global box office, which is you know starting to get box those 10. numbers back up, which would be <laughs> awesome. We have some uh, Instagram poll questions if you want to get into them. Let's do it, guys. Yeah. <clears throat> so, Millie Jacksteed wrote, "Why do we care so much about domestic when films are shown?" worldwide that's actually a very good question i would say because it's a uh, it showcases the the cl- cultures and what our culture is interested in but also studios profit less on international releases they get less of a profit margin for films distributed outside of the america yeah, i mean most of the movies we see they're most movies that come out every year are made in the united states or domestically yeah. so that's why you know hollywood's in america mm-hmm. it's not like uh oh let's only talk about america statistics it's just because that's usually the most important because this is where the studios are you know they're making their movies here this is where they're located so they're domestic films for this country in north america so that's why we talk about domestic next lb galaz wrote what are the logistics to get to know the movie theater's box office that fast around the globe we use we like to use a metric site called box office mojo they're pretty uh airtight with their analytics forbes is really good as well with their numbers uh initially people analysts will project a weekend by friday depending on how much it makes thursday and friday they can basically project with a lot of accuracy what the overall weekend for an opening weekend of a film will be that's why we actually record our movie news on saturday even though we do the box office numbers because by saturday they analysts know pretty sure what the numbers are going to be for a film they can just basically say it's going to make it made this much friday and saturday it's going to make this much Sunday, so here's the total box office for that weekend. So most of it's, it's mostly projections, and then you get the real final numbers on Monday. The real ones. The real numbers. <laughs> Caleb Jeter wrote, what is a good box office for an indie film? As long as it makes, you know, probably like 50% above the budget or even – not even that much, but like if it's a $10 million movie, if it makes $15 million, that's, that's solid. You know, as long as it's profitable, but also it – you know, as long as it makes enough money to deem, you know, the filmmakers a budget to make another movie, or deems the studio to stay with keeping the rent on, so they don't have to sell to a corporation like Disney or something like that. Because you'd be shocked how many independent studios have sold to Disney or a big major corporations. So, as as profitable enough to justify those filmmakers, screenwriters, cr- cast, and crew to make another movie, as well as for the independent studio. To stay relevant and keep making movies and pay for movies, yeah, break even and then some. It doesn't have to be a it huge. Doesn't hit have to be like a hundred million dollars on a twenty million dollar budget. You but know, if it makes profit, then that gives the filmmaker another chance to make another movie. It becomes they become vi- viably profitable, and they can it allows for a studio to take a risk on them. Yeah. Like, hey, your your last movie made five million in profit. Okay, let's give you a little bit more money and see what you can do. Yeah, there's a lot of filmmakers that make movies that, you know, still profit $10 million every time they keep getting to make movies because their movies are profitable. Yeah, and some some of my favorite filmmakers, their movies just never make boatloads of money. But, I mean, it's just as long as you're making some money, that's good. Why is it called The Box Office from Bryce2327? I have no idea. Do you know,
1: Ben? I don't know why. Yeah, I'm not too sure. That's a good question. Let's see.
0: Box office <laughs> origins. Because
1: uh, <laughs> you know, at, of the, at the front of the theater, there used to be the little box It office, was the box right? office. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. Control. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. that's the box
0: yeah. office. Yeah, that's definitely why. Because of the, t- the, the, the stand. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That, uh, <laughs> we're a couple of bozos. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> 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 All right. Evan Smith wrote, is there an exact amount that each movie theater takes home like a set percentage, but also this ties to uh, CR Dutta, who decides when the theater starts to make more money from ticket sales? We, we basically covered that. Uh, each deal is different from film to film, from studio to theater. Um, and so those are all, they're basically all individual contracts and licensing agreements. And they all vary. But generally, it'll be around the same ballpark of what we said earlier. Here's one from Your Mansion. Will Netflix ever try to make more box office money with full theatrical releases I'm sure at some point they're going to have to start to, but they've been going through some pretty solid growth the last couple quarters. The beginning of 2022, they did take a dive. They dropped to almost close to 2 million subscribers, but they've managed to get back, and they've actually, I think, increased upwards of 6 million subscribers. in The, the last password half, thing worked? Half a year, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, they're just starting to initiate that now. But as long as they keep... Their market share. I don't see them doing theatrical releases because they just they just don't seem to care. I mean, they could have made a hundred million dollars box office with Glass Onion, but yeah. they just chose to release it for what two days and made ten million. Yeah, good point. Alex Demsel, how much does it bench? <laughs> <laughs> new PI, bro. PR. PR. New PR. Uh, MT Riley, this is a good question. How do you get more people to see other movies other than big blockbuster Marvel, DC, etc.? I would say at this point, there's really no way to because this year, 2022, was a great example of there were a dozen excellent movies, like really great movies, high quality, incredible narratives, original ideas, terrific acting, filmmaking, absolute incredible pieces of cinema that nobody saw in America. And we actually talked about it. I mean, movies like Triangle of Sadness, Decision to Leave, After Sun. There are a bunch of films like that. They got exposure, you know. They're billboards. They're get marketing. You can see them online on social media, but it just didn't seem like people were motivated to see them. And I don't see how you can be do any different because they are phenomenal movies. I think I just think there's a lack of interest in those movies nowadays, and I'm not sure that it'll ever change from now on. What do you guys think? Do you think that audiences will start to see movies like that? Anytime soon or are they just gonna be sticking to the big guns? I mean, I hope so, but like to see decision to leave just do so poorly at the box office. But you know, everything everywhere out all at once, breaking a hundred million dollars was huge, but also that was that was the one thing. You know, it was the one movie really that was just so independently produced, but still a very pretty solid budget, you know, that's twenty five thirty million dollar budget. Um I unfortunately I don't really see that happening at this moment. Yeah. Maybe because I think there's superhero fatigue going on, you know. I mean, is it going on because these movies didn't do well? But it's been been like a relevant thing the last, like, year. Yeah, well, there's superhero fatigue, but it's it's not making people go see these movies is what I'm saying. No, I know, but maybe it's going to take the fatigues catching up to people now that we've been seeing the last couple of films. I mean, just to tie into it, we'll take one more question from Dawson who asked what happened to Marvel getting easy billions (laughs) on their movies kind of ties into that as well where – Maybe people are less interested in superhero movies. Maybe we'll, we'll start to see an increase in ind- independent film. I mean, look at independent horror film in 2022, decimated. We had a lot of hits in independent horror, so I think that's a very healthy genre right now. Well, Smile wasn't an independent film. It was universal. Well, still, like, low-budget films, I guess you could say. I'm um, Yeah, but I'm talking about independently made films, not made in the studio system. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever... Yeah. We'll just get a, maybe a couple of random hits every and year. And Also, high-concept horror film, It's it's, like... Kind of guaranteed success nowadays. Yeah, close to that. What do you think, Ben? Do you think people are gonna start seeing more artistic independent films anytime soon?
1: I think they need to, because the way the way it's all going is everything is just gonna be these big budget things that Like, it's you know, I'm same 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 problem with me. I don't get to the theater that much, but if I go, it tends to be those bigger, you know, bigger movies, and I don't go. I've, if, if some of the lower budget movies come out, I, I can wait and I can watch that in, in my theater room or something like that. And it yeah. unfortunately, that's the way things are going, and I'm guilty of it. But people need to need to go out and do it because otherwise, they're going to go and it's just going to they're going to become, you know, they already they already don't have this massive budget that everyone expects. So if no one's going to see seen the budget's just gonna, possibly going to get smaller and smaller, and then
0: yeah. You know? uh, yeah, Ben's, yeah. Ben's like part of this. Um, oh, keep going. No, 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 you're you're part of this population that you know you don't have a lot of time, and you go to the movies maybe ten times a year, and obviously you're gonna see the culturally culturally very relevant things, the big budget stuff. You're obviously a fan like superhero movies, big budget action films, like we all are. So those are obviously the movies you're gonna more geared to see versus the other fifteen movies that are super low-budget, independently produced that you'll just catch streaming-wise. I think a lot of people are in that position, that kind of reveals a lot to people who don't, who either aren't very enthusiastic about going to the movies. When they go to see a movie, they're going to see the big, block, block, big blockbuster film. They're going to go see yeah. Tom Cruise. Yeah. They're going to go see a superhero. They're going to see something really cool like that. And, I mean, that ties into Dawson. Again, your question, what happened to Marvel getting easy billions on their movies – I think Marvel, you know, they hit that crazy peak of Infinity War and Endgame building up these characters for 15, 20, 15 years and then finding the, the culmination of that world and those characters and the saga was incredible and so anticipated. And they, this is before they were purchased by Disney that these movies were written. They were going to be produced. So, like, it wasn't like then obviously Disney's taken over and we've obviously, obviously seen a shift in quality, but also the stakes aren't there right now. Maybe the stakes will get back there once they start building the Kang dynasty, if that's what's going to be going forward. Like with Thanos, Kang is the big bad. But starting to build up the characters for the next saga and then bringing the X-Men into it as well, I guarantee they'll get back to like massive numbers once X-Men and Avengers and Marvel characters are all in films together. But it's going to take a while, I think. But that's also why. But also, I think superhero fatigue is real. Yeah. And this actually also ties to Tyler Matthew Moda's question. He asked, Are we currently seeing the death of mid budget movies? And I, we actually did in the 2010s. They kind of just kind of like started being non existent. And also, I, I there's a, a problem I'm seeing where, I mean, not a problem, but like people, from what I've seen. So, an example of Banshees of Inner Sharon. Loved the film, saw it twice. It's a, on HBO Max, if you haven't seen it, it's really remarkable. And I saw a clip of it, of Barry kugan and his line. I'm talking to Carrie Condon's character. He's like, um, "Would you ever think about falling in love with a with a girl like you? Ever think about falling in love with a boy like me?" It's like great little line, really touching scene, a lot of depth to it. One of the best scenes of the film. Uh, and she, and it, I saw it. It was a reel on Instagram, and it had like 10 million views hundreds of thousands of comments like a million likes it's like that's probably the how most people are going to watch that movie from just a couple of clips on on instagram or on tiktok and they're not going to actually watch it on hbo max because if that movie got that many views it would have been a hit and i mean ticket sales didn't even sell a million probably it it made like two three million box office so i find that it's like kind of sad like so many people their only exposure to that film is going to be like an instagram reel of one of those clips one of the scene from the film or like another one that went viral was uh Colum, talk, and P- Patrick talking to Callum in the bar like cussing him out basically about not being nice I that was a it was a huge viral clip on TikTok millions and millions of views but it's like how many of those people are actually going to go watch the movie they're probably just going to watch the clip on TikTok and then move on and watch the next thing so it, it's kind of sad that like a film like that which is really special I think it's not going to get any kind of meaningful viewership for the film, and it's just basically it's like little bits of it are going to get like higher viewership. You know what I mean? But over time, I'm sure people will see it. I hope so. I think people I will see so it over it. time. Um, you guys got anything else, Ben? You got anything else you want to bring up, talk about?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, it's it it's a bit different. like we have uh over here like everything is an Americanized over here to a to a degree, but um even with these releases, like we sometimes have a massive delay in the lower budget movies. Like it might come out. Like I think the whale came out for you guys. end of last year, was it? December. We saw a while ago. Yeah. And uh, I think it's only just starting to get released here now sort of thing, you know, like, wow. So, but so then you guys are going by the, you guys get the numbers. Okay. So here's the, here's your, what's coming back. And, it hasn't even hit some of the countries yet to to get that full yeah you know, so it's it's interesting like so yeah you've almost got to wait a year for it to be out everywhere to to finally see how much it's earned
0: yeah to, every to market yeah um but
1: yeah
0: other than that i
1: yeah, I I'm think it's because
0: sure. they send the movies to Australia on robots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say something stupid. <laughs> you guys are late with products too, right? Or at least back in the day, like you'd have to wait to get like the next like fashionable thing or trendy thing. Yeah, I think
1: so. <laughs> like I think like back so in the day, it just, it just it wasn't fashionable until it got to us. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay, this is the new the thing. The robots. So, guys. Right, yeah, we robots. really we were just. Uh, just that little bit behind. The, like taking a rowboat across
0: the the Atlantic. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. I mean, if you leave in the West Coast, go Pacific. I, you know, I just well, uh, I, I, I just learned something funny about Australia that you guys had a war against emus and lost. Yeah. Lost, 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 lost the war. Uh, emus were decimating farms and agriculture, and so the military set up like this war against emus, and they tried to kill them. But the emus emus were too smart and evasive, and they just gave up after two days. <laughs> Sounds like Return of the Jedi with their Ewoks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the great emu war. Yeah. I think five I emus we were killed. <laughs> yeah. I'm going. So I'm they're scary learning. if you
1: ever look them in the eyes. They're, they're, they're terrifying. They're really big too. <laughs> they're
0: massive. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Stand face to face with him. He's okay. yeah, no, no. Okay. Take the class. I think that'd be a funny
0: movie. Wouldn't that be a funny movie? What? The war of the emus yeah, versus war. humans? Yeah. <laughs> and make the emus And then we the get viral news.
1: clips of uh, someone fighting a kangaroo. But
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Well, Ben, we appreciate you so much for being a patron and coming on the show. It means the world to us. We love to hear that we have supporters and fans from different countries around the world, halfway across the planet all the way in Australia. We got a huge fan base down there, so we appreciate you so much. Thanks again. Being a patron, coming on the show, hope you had a good time. Um, oh, watch, par- watch parties are always fun. Yeah, yeah. We, we like to have you at watch parties if it's a time that you can make. You have the attention of yeah, all I'll the fa- followers and I listeners. Can. Do you want to say anything to everybody before we before we shut down the episode? Uh, Maybe talk about uh, how much better you like me than James. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: which one which so. one's paying me more sorry uh, yeah.
0: we know that we know that's not true anthony, <laughs> <laughs> anthony slips a little cash
1: under the table yeah, yeah, anthony. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. we'll talk about oh, it later no, thank, be, thank you so you. much
1: for, for having me it's, it's been great to be on love love the show and uh yeah it's just great to listen to and uh i do a lot of driving at work so it's uh always i look forward to hearing you, your voices in the morning yeah you know?
0: oh. <laughs> so Appreciate that That's appreciate so, great. This so much. Oh man. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> That's touching. Glad that we can entertain you on your drives. Ben, thanks so much. All of you can become patrons easily by going to patreon.com <laughs> slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Ben's in the $100 tier, so he got to come on the show. <laughs> if you want to do that, you got to do that as well. <laughs> but um, we have $2, $5, $10, $25, and $100 tier. So whatever's in your budget, we will graciously accept and <laughs> Gracially, graciously, accept. graciously, graciously, graciously. I invented a word for Patreon only. <laughs> Anthony's gonna shop at Trader Joe's, so you, you guys are helping him get his his orange chicken. I don't get the orange chicken, <laughs> kung pao chicken. I get the kung pao. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. and pesto wraps. It's just too much fried batter on the orange chicken. So good, it's delicious, but only once in a while. <laughs> but thank anyways, you so, thank you so much for tuning in around the world. All you Australians out there, hopefully Ben represented those emos real well for you. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Talk to you soon. (laughs) See you next time. (laughs) Thank you for watching Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. Hit the like button as well. Notifications for sure. Listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere. You can listen to podcasts. And be sure to check out this other content we have on our YouTube channel. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.